Hey, turn over to Psalm 136. And uh, you'll actually find it in your bulletin there. Uh, We'll read it responsively. Historically, even in the Old Testament, this was a psalm that would have been read responsively. And so we'll do that. And uh, since we're doing our uh, Thanksgiving celebration today, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to preach on Thanksgiving. Uh, And we will look at be doing a bit of a deeper dive into verse 1 of Psalm 136, and by deeper dive, I mean skipping across the tops of the waves, because this is an extraordinary uh, uh, refrain that we have here that uh, runs throughout the Old Testament. Um, So let's uh, pray, and then we'll go to God's Word. Our Father, we thank you for you are good, for your steadfast love endures forever. We don't only want to know this morning that honey is sweet, but we want to taste its sweetness. Give us, we pray, knowledge about you that will uphold and strengthen. And we have one request yet further, that we may taste that same honey, that we may be moved from mere knowledge to sweet communion with you, our personal triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Only in Christ, the life-giving vine, Do we have the boldness to make such a request? In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I will read uh, the, uh, it's light in yours, right? My my sections. I'll read the light print. If you would respond with the dark, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through it, through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. For his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the God. Uh, word of God, you may be seated. A gratitude is not something that comes naturally. You have to teach children how to be thankful. You have to make them say thank you. Uh, but it warms your heart as a parent in those occasions when you receive a heartfelt thank you, un- unasked, unprovoked. And they genuinely are thankful for something you've done for them. If I'm honest, I'm not sure gratitude gets all that much more natural as I get older. Why is that? I think sometimes it can be helpful to consider the opposite. So what's the opposite of gratitude? Perhaps Entitlement, jealousy, uh, covetousness, discontentment, um, that those, those items come naturally to me. I titled this sermon, Feeding the Root of Thanks, uh, because I feel very often a Thanksgiving sermon can be something like a bully on a playground twisting the, the arm of a child saying, Be thankful! Be thankful! But but what really is the root of thanksgiving? Genuine gratitude can't just be mustered up from within by sheer willpower. And sometimes we're going uh, through as people really hard things in our lives that may blind us from for a season from the apparent goodness of God. Or conversely, and perhaps feeding even more into a sense of entitlement, we can enjoy great favor for a season And forget to thank God. So the point that I want to make and the point I believe our verse has led me to this morning is that genuine heartfelt gratitude uh, that transcends circumstances goes beyond a mere count your blessings, name them one by one kind of activity, which, by the way, is still a good thing to do, but it's rooted even deeper uh, and it's not first and foremost in the gift, but in the giver. In other words, if your gratitude tree is beginning to look a little shabby and dry, you need to attend to the roots and not the branches. A strong and, and healthy gratitude tree is rooted not in the shifting sands of circumstances, but in the firm and fertile soil of God's very character and attributes. So our verse begins, verse 1, with an imperative. This is our verse for this morning, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The first imperative there is give thanks This is supposed to be a Thanksgiving sermon, and I'm going to to kill the party now. The Hebrew word is probably not best translated, give thanks. The word is yada. Primarily, it means 
an expression or confession of God's attributes and works. Not a confession in the sense of a confession of sin, but a confession means saying the same thing as God. The Septuagint uh, Greek word, the Greek word used in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament is also, it's not the word Eucharisto from which we get thanks, but it's the word from which we also get the word confess. To say the same thing as. So here when he says give thanks, it's really, it's more, much more broad than that. It's an acknowledgement of God's works, his character, his attributes. It is to agree and even publicly agree about God, about who God is. And certainly, gratitude exists within that framework as one aspect of the broader range of this confession, this public agreement about who God is and what He's done. If you've ever had the experience of, of writing, having to write in a thank you note, and maybe you don't know the person so well, or maybe you're having a hard time in coming up with the words, and so there's this temptation that arises that, that you just write, thank you for being you. Ugh. At least in and of itself, that, that's lame, that's lazy. On the other hand, if that sentiment is genuine, if I'm profoundly grateful for who you are and the very essence of your person, then it would actually be something of a meaningful statement to say that. And if it's true, it wouldn't be trouble at all to fill the card with, with many accolades and praises. And, and words would not be the limiting factor, but space on the card would be. That's the sense I get of how we're supposed to take this word, yada, give thanks. Um, in First Chronicles 16, when Israel gets the Ark back of the Ark of the Covenant, and the Philistines had stolen it and... and they get it back and they're celebrating and David appoints this kind of committee of thanks. Or it's kind of the first praise and worship team in the best possible sense of those words. In First Chronicles 16, 4 through 10, David appoints these, these men. He appoints some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke or, and to thank and to praise the Lord. That's their job. Praise the God of Israel. Uh, Asaph was the chief, and second to him were Zechariah, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, uh, Matahiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, Jael, uh, who were to play harps and lyres, and Asaph was to the sound of the cymbals, and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. Then on that day... David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. That's their job is to stand in front of the tent, to stand in front of the Ark of the Covenant and give thanks to offer Yada to confess the attributes and actions of God. This, this uh, committee, this team, uh, it comes up several times throughout the Old Testament as, as a group of people who were given this responsibility uh, according to David and it continues to abide. And I like this idea. I'm thinking we need to have a, a group of thanksgiving a team here at the church. Then again, are we not already that group? We're called to offer up sacrifices of praise, of thanksgiving 
Uh, Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And even as we gather to sing the excellencies of God, to make public and corporate confession of God's attributes, as we just did with the Athanasian Creed, uh, we are engaging in this process, this yada, this thanksgiving, this confession. Some days, perhaps, the feeling is not there, but the confession is there, and it's real nonetheless. One dictionary definition for gratitude says that it's the state of being grateful, obviously, uh, warm and friendly, feeling toward a benefactor, kindness awakened by a favor received, or thankfulness. And the first lesson I think we learn about feeding the root of of gratitude is that thanksgiving is not an isolated uh, feeling or emotion. It includes that definition for sure, but there's more to it than that. It goes farther. This this yada grounds our gratitude, including it in a much broader context of confessing and, and extolling the whole being, nature, character, and actions of God. To whom we now turn in the text, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. I think it's interesting to observe uh, unbelieving friends on Thanksgiving say on social media. Uh, thankfulness is a universally lauded virtue, but a lot of times these thanks are, are fairly vague and impersonal. It's just a general thanks to whom? And, and I realize very few of my friends are actually hardcore atheists, but there's still a general lack of, of personhood, of, of reception. Who's the person receiving the thanks? Which seems to be the most important part of a thanks. It would be odd to, to uh, a couple at a wedding, and they, they receive all their gifts, and then they write thank you cards, and they don't give them to the recipients. Here it says there's a recipient. It's an indirect object. It's to the Lord. This word Lord, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, um, in your scriptures, you'll see that the word is capitalized, all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's when the divine name, the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, is used. This word Yahweh, this name, is closely related to the verb of being, the verb I am. It's the name that God gives Moses from the burning bush. I am who I am. It's a name that speaks of the the eternal self-existence of God, or what theologians call the aseity of God. It also then speaks of his immutability. He is who he is. He does not change. He does not learn. He does not. He, he's never surprised. He's not given to emotional responses or to sudden shifts of inclination or, dis, or disposition. He is who he is. He will not change his mind and he will keep his promises. He will keep his covenant with us. And the covenant promise that runs throughout scripture is I will be your God and you will be my people. The psalmist gives expression to this, and you can turn if you want. Psalm 118, 
Uh, he gives expression to this by focusing on the very name of God as a cause for praise and thanks and, and confession. Uh, Psalm 118, 1 through 9. I'll replace the, the, the Lord with the divine name Yahweh here. I'll give thanks to Yahweh for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear Yahweh say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on Yahweh. Yahweh answered me and set me free. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall in triumph, look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. Of course, the, the fullest richness, the richness of the name of the, the covenant God, the, the Lord and his covenant promises finds its, its fulfillment, its highest expression uh, in Jesus. Jesus himself claimed to be Yahweh when he said before Abraham was, I am. And he is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. He, he is God with us. He is the covenant promise. He is Emmanuel. So the object of our thanks, of our yada, is the eternal, unchanging God who is for us and with us. And yet again, this firmly grounds and roots our gratitude, not in the shifting sands of circumstances, but in the very essence of who God is in his gracious dealings with his people. And next, why should we give thanksgiving to the Lord? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For he is good. In our, my, I teach Greek here at the school, and in our Greek class, I make my students get up on the board and translate in front of everybody and tell me why they translated it the way they translated it. You can see an example there. That was one of my students. I think they got it right. Um, and I, I stand there and I hold the key, the answer in my hand. And when, when they get it right or when they get it mostly right, I say something like good or excellent or very good or well done. The standard for good is right there in my hand. It's the key for whether it's good or bad. I think we tend to think of good as a sort of answer key in the sky to which everyone, including God, must adhere. But this confession says he is good. He, he is good. Thomas Manton said, he is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by, by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good, not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is super added quality. In God, it is his essence. 
He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. But in God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He is eternally and immutably good, for he cannot be less good than he is, as there can be no addition made to him, no subtraction from him. Jesus was always quick with an ironic quip. Uh, when someone asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He responded, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Ironically, he was God and therefore good. The confession of God's goodness is nothing like my comments to my students for their efforts because I'm in a position of authority over them to judge whether or not what they did was good. When we confess the goodness of God, we do not do so as a judge who examines the merits and makes a determination, but as a simple agreement with what God has said about himself in his words, that he is good. Uh, There's a kid's book written by a a theologian, uh, Jonathan Gibson. Some of you have his devotional book, Be Thou My Vision. It's a good, good book. Um, in this book, it's from the perspective of, uh, perspective of his, his young son. And Jonathan and his son would, would look out at night through the window and look at the moon during its different phases. And Jonathan would remind his son, the moon is always round. That's the name of the book. The moon is always round. He would also take the opportunity to remind his son that though our vision of the goodness of God may at times be a waning crescent, the moon is always round. God is always good. Heartbreakingly, the the Gibson family endured a a late-term stillbirth of a daughter. The book recounts this, this story of this event from this little boy's perspective and his dad the end of the book is preaching a sermon at the funeral and he looks down from the pulpit and asks him, what shape is the moon? The boy responds, the moon is always round. And he asks, what does that mean? God is always good. This is such a a valuable lesson for us as a reminder that the moon is not always full, but the moon is always Round. So as we seek to root our gratitude, not in the shifting sands of circumstances, but in the very person and character of God, the goodness of God is, is a rich and firm substrate. He is good and he is good toward us. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. The steadfast love is a famous Hebrew word. You've heard it, chesed, or more properly, chesed, because Hebrew is a throat disease, not a language. (laughs) And much ado has been made about this word, chesed, uh, and rightly so. It's a wonderful and rich word. It's been translated variously as love, faithful love, steadfast love, 
loving devotion, mercy, faithfulness, loving kindness, gracious love, kindness, loyal love. There are also various interpretations of what this word means. Um, some have called, have said, covenant love, or even more narrowly, uh, covenant faithfulness. Namely, that God always lives up to and fulfills his covenant obligations. We get a sense of this when we read uh, Psalm 136, that God fulfilled his covenant promises to Abraham. That Abraham would be a great nation and give him the land of promise. And, but, but first his progeny would suffer slavery for 400 years, but he would bring them out and bring them into the promised land. And this is fulfilled by God. And we see this in Psalm 136 that we read earlier uh, in verses 10, uh, beginning in verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. And then again down in verse 17. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and 21, and he gave their lands as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So there's that covenant promise of Abraham, or to Abraham, being fulfilled. So it's true, there's a covenant aspect, a covenant keeping aspect to the Hasid of the Lord. But we might ask, is not the Hasid of the Lord prior even to his formal formal covenant making with his people. Psalm 136 seemed to suggest that it does precede it. Even in creation itself, uh, creation is connected with the steadfast love of the Lord. In 136, beginning in verse 4, to him alone who does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him but who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. To the sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. So his steadfast love is connected even with creation prior to his covenants with man. So it's seen that Hesed is not merely just faithful fulfillment of covenant, covenant obligations, but rather it's an attribute that is intrinsic to the nature of who God is, which from which flows his covenant faithfulness. Even as a man and woman are brought together to the altar to say vows by their love, and their love precedes their vows, so God's steadfast love is brought him into covenant with his people. As Ephesians says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. Love came first. Old Testament scholar uh, Dom Sorg rightly, I think, said, is not, has said, really the Old Testament reflex of God is love. Uh, another Old Testament scholar, Laird Harris, adds, the word loving kindness of the King James Version is archaic, but not far from the fullness of the meaning of the word. Loving kindness. So God is love. 
Loving kindness is an attribute that is within God himself. And surely it is something that is eternally found in the expression of the intra-Trinitarian love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's by pure grace that he expressed his loving mercy to us who were in a pitiful state, and he welcomed us to participate in Trinitarian fellowship. Now again, God's loving kindness finds its highest expression in Jesus, of course, on the cross. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the highest possible expression of chesed, of loving kindness, of steadfast love, of covenant faithfulness. For those in Christ, the loving kindness of the Lord is not earned. It is not merited by the works we do. In fact, John says it's not because we love him, but because he loved us. And in fact, it is in spite of our faithlessness that God faithfully persists in his steadfast love for us because he has set his love on us before the foundation of the world. The prophet Hosea reminds us God is to his people a faithful husband of an unfaithful betrothed. This relationship is expressed vividly. If you'd like to turn there in Psalm 106, we'll do a quick survey. It's a bit of a longer psalm, but we'll do a survey of Psalm 106 and see how God is faithful when we are faithless. Beginning in verse 1, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord, or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And then in verse 16, we see more of the, the uh, obstinance of Israel when men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron. In verse 19, and they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. In verse 28, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. 
32, they angered him at the waters of Meribah. In 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. Verse 40, the response of the Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and he abhorred his heritage. And he gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and they were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Despite their unfaithfulness, God was faithful to his covenant. It was an expression of his steadfast love that had already been placed on them. Uh, Sometimes we feel as though we're not worthy to offer thanksgiving to God. As, as though we're one of those called by David to stand in front of the Ark of the Covenant and confess the goodness and attributes of God and sing his praise and thanks, but deep down, we feel like an imposter. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of this. If you have that sense, and it's my observation that a lot of people struggle with that sense, I want to tell you that there's nothing you can do as a person for whom Christ served as a propitiation to shake the steadfast love of God. It is not that you loved him, but that he loved you. You are not worthy. He expressed that love toward you in your unworthiness by predestining you to adoption as sons and daughters. He laid his affection on you from before the foundation of the world. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for your sins, specifically your sins. And once he's set his affection on you in that way, knowing exactly who you are, you really think that it's remotely possible that that steadfast love could be removed from you. And of course, the conclusion to the refrain gives us the definitive answer. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. God is is Yahweh. He is I am who I am. Because God is who he, he is. He's immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not bound or changed by the passage of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and is to come. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is not a play actor who picks up an attitude or attribute for a time and a season only to lay it down and pick up a new one. I think Kevin DeYoung said it well. He has a a video on divine simplicity, which uh, was excellently explained. Uh, And he says in that video, every attribute of God is identical with his essence. 
There is no attribute that attaches to him like a barnacle on a ship. He's not a jigsaw puzzle of divine properties. He's not a ball of duct tape with lots of attributes stuck to him. He is his attributes. Steadfast love is not something he can just lay down and take up again. God is. He is steadfast love. Therefore, his steadfast love is from eternity to eternity. As long as God exists, his steadfast love abides with him. To that degree, our gratitude is rooted, or to the degree that our gratitude is rooted in the very person of God, our gratitude will find an everlasting expression and object in him. Because those attributes which we confess and praise and, and, and feel a sense of gratitude for are without end. So I say this season, a Thanksgiving season, as you are able, give thanks and rejoice and count your blessings and, and feast unto the Lord with a full heart. I'm a big believer in feasts. Looking forward to our feast. Amen. Sometimes the moon is dark, but it's always round. Gratitude rooted not in the shifting sands of circumstances, but in the God who is, will not be shaken. Therefore, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen.